Christmas Eve. You are the real traditionalist. You can't have a real Christmas Eve service until it's dark outside, right? Okay. So I, I know who I'm dealing with here. These are, these are the real Christmas people tonight. Welcome to our guests. Good to have you. Welcome to everybody online. We always hope that you can join us in person very soon. And welcome to the kids. It's always great to have the kids joining us in here, families to worship together on these holiday times. Told you that today I would announce to you the special Christmas offering that we do every year, you know, to do things beyond what we normally do to fund some projects, you know, some youth security, youth transportation, uh, some youth upgrades and repairs to the auditorium over there to repair place the baptistry over here, as well as to fund the CARE Fund, which we help people in need and pay some of their bills. And we set a goal this year, a big goal, is, you know, four times what we normally give in a weekend, $88,000, which we thought was really high, because last year, you guys were awesome, very generous, you gave over $98,000, but that's when we had two locations, you know, in Allen Park, and we let them go independent this year, bless them, so we're just back to being one location, so we thought $88,000, that's a huge goal. But you guys gave five times what you normally do, $112,544. So it was awesome. We're able to do all those projects and then some. So again, great having the kids in here. But I got to tell you, you need to know the truth about Christmas. You deserve to know the real story. Uh, there's, there's some stuff that you've heard about Christmas that I'm just going to have to let you know the truth. And I know it might mess up your whole imagination about Christmas, but here we go. And now, it's, don't worry, it's not going to be what you think I'm going to say. This is about Bible stories. This is, <laughs> this is about the stuff that we think is in the Christmas story. We see it in all the, the traditions and the songs and the plays, but it's not actually in the Bible. So we're going to clear up some of these misconceptions tonight. But, you know, by the way, none of them... Are big. It's like minor misconceptions that don't affect the story at all. But let's just start with the date, December 25th. Jesus was not born on December 25th, as far as we know. It's just kind of a random date. Uh, some think that December 25th was stolen from the pagan winter solstice holiday, but there's really no evidence that Christians took that. And there are others, early Christians, who thought that Jesus may have been conceived in March, and though voila, there we are, we have a birth in December. But the truth is, we just don't know. And then when we imagine um, Joseph and Mary traveling into Bethlehem, Mary is riding on a donkey, right? But that's not in there. There's no clues at all about how they got there. Now, we, that's a pretty good guess because she was very far along in her pregnancy. So, you know, I doubt that she's riding on Joseph's shoulders or anything, but probably on a donkey, but we just don't know. And then when they finally do arrive in Bethlehem, they go around looking for a place to stay, and they go to an inn, and the innkeeper says what? No room, that mean old innkeeper, except he's not in the story either. There is no innkeeper. And in fact, there may not even be an inn. Do you know that? Because the Greek word for inn simply means a place to stay, or it could mean a guest room. So they just couldn't find any guest room in somebody's house, for example, where did they probably go? They probably went to a relative's house, right? Because they're, they're back in their ancestral hometown. And you would go to some relative's house. And so they show up at, I don't know, Uncle Eliezer and Aunt Abigail's house. And can you put us up for the night? Sorry, we're full. I mean, we've got a bunch of relatives filling the house. We've got no place for you. Uh, no guest room. So where do they go? They have to go to where? A stable, right? A, a stinky, smelly old barn 
filled with animals or maybe even a cave filled with animals, except it doesn't say that. You realize back then that houses would often have an adjacent room where they would keep the family's animals. So it's kind of like an attached garage. So it could be that, you know, that there's no guest room in the house, but tell you what, we'll put you up in the adjacent room where we keep the animals, right? But you know what? There's no mention of any animals either. There's nothing about lowing cattle or, or donkeys or sheep or anything there. So get this, it could be that Mary actually, who knows? It doesn't say Jesus was given birth in a stable. It just says they put him in a manger. What's that? It's a feeding trough. So very simply, didn't have a crib in the house. Mary's giving birth right there in the living room. They said, oh yeah, we got, a, we got a feeding trough out in the garage. Let's go get that. And they put Jesus in the manger. That's all we know. That, so that whole nativity scene thing you got, out it goes. It's just, it's just trash. No, keep your nativity scene. It's fine. Because we just, we don't know. We don't know any of those details. But it's just we've, we've assumed a lot. And then it was, it was what, a silent night when Jesus was born, Right? The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. It's not in the Bible. I mean, yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. So of course he cried. He's not some, you know, mystical, magical Buddha baby lying there. He's, he's making baby noises. So it wasn't that silent. And then your nativity scene will have, what, a big star above it? The star in the sky? But we don't know if that was there the night Jesus was born either. Why? Because the star was there to guide the wise men far away from the east, and chances are it took them a long time to get there. May not have shown up that very night. May have, we don't know. But all we do know is when they finally arrive in Jerusalem, they ask King Herod, where's this baby who was born king of the Jews? And Herod puts two and two together, and he says, kill all the baby boys two years and under. So it's likely they showed up much later than the night Jesus was born, and they found him in a house. And by the way, if the star in the sky was there the night Jesus was born, you know, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, why didn't they just say, hey, go find the manger where the baby is laying? Oh, by the way, look for that star right over the manger. But they don't say that. So the star may not have been there. The wise men may not have been there. And we don't even know how many wise men there are. We think there were how many? Three, right? We, we three kings of Orient are. But that's a made-up song because we, we don't know that there were kings. We don't know there were three. We just assume there's three because there's three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the whole thing is just, oh, yeah. And there was no little drummer boy, pa pum pum anywhere around. This all just stuff we've made up to add to the story. And speaking of angels appearing, we tend to picture them, you know, up in the sky, flying around. <clears throat> doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say that they were singing. You realize all of our Christmas carols, angels we have heard on high sweetly singing over the plains. Right? We've got all these, these carols about hark the herald angels sing, and it doesn't say a word about them singing. Not, not, in fact, there's a couple of Christmas carols that get it right. The first Noel, the angels did say, what's the certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay? O little town of Bethlehem, we hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings, tell. So angels weren't singing, weren't flying, may not have even had wings. Let's check it out. Let's go to the real story in the book of Luke. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in verses 8 through 14. And we've already seen in this series 
what angels are, what they do, that they're messengers sent from God. If you want to hear any of those previous messages, go on our website, watch it there or on YouTube, Facebook, listen to the podcast, go on Spotify. But the facts are that the Christmas story begins with an angel, Gabriel, being sent by God to the old priest, uh, Zechariah, who's in the temple. Angel says, you and your wife, you're going to have this miracle baby in your old age. You're going to name him John. He's going to grow up to be the forerunner of the Messiah. That becomes John the Baptist. Then, a few months later, Gabriel is sent to the Virgin Mary and says, you're going to conceive a son. He will be the son of God. He'll be the Savior. Call him Jesus. And then a little bit later, another angel appears to Joseph in a dream saying, Mary's telling you the truth. Go ahead and take her to be your wife. But this night that Jesus was born was probably the most spectacular appearance of angels maybe ever. So let's look at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what that looked like. Maybe it's kind of like a stadium at night all lit up. Or we think ahead when Jesus rises from the dead an angel shows up at the tomb, rolls a stone away, and it says the angel's appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. Maybe it was like that. But notice it doesn't say that that angel was flying in the air, just that he appeared. He could have just been standing there. Angels may not have wings. They're never described that way. You say, well, I, yes, there are angels in the Bible with wings. No, technically... There are these creatures called cherubim and seraphim. And they're different than the angels that we see appearing on the earth. These are the powerful, awesome creatures that, that we find. They're, they're, we see a cherubim at the Garden of Eden guarding it when Adam and Eve are expelled. He's standing there with his big flaming sword and he's got wings and all that. So that's a cherubim. Uh, cherubim are the creatures that are carved on top of the Ark of the Covenant with their wings touching each other right in the middle. But we don't even know what the word cherubim means. We don't know what they are. Now, seraphim, that means the burning ones. And that's, we see them in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when Isaiah sees these incredible creatures with six wings. They've got two that are covering their faces, two that are covering their feet, and two that they're using to fly around. Those are the seraphim. And, and it might be the same kind of creatures that we see in the book of Ezekiel. In his vision, he sees these very strange creatures and eyes and faces and, and all these wings. Maybe the same creatures that we see later in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. John sees these weird hybrid creatures with different hybrid faces. And they, too, have six wings, three pairs of wings. So what I'm saying, I guess, kids, this winter, if you want to go out and make snow angels... Just lie there. You don't have to do a thing. you got an angel. Now, if you want to make snow seraphim, now you're going to have some fun because now you get to do three pairs of wings, you know, all over the place. Let's get back to the text. All right. And they were filled with great fear because, you know, shepherds are on watch all night long and they're looking out for predators and rustlers. So, you know, any little thing's going to trigger them. And this, this is more than a little thing. And the angel said to them, said, not saying, fear not. Angels are always saying that, you know, for obvious reasons. Pretty startling to see an angel. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So that fulfills the prophecies that the Messiah, the Christ, would be born in the royal city of King David, Bethlehem. Um, even though by this time it's not a big deal, it's a small little town, old little town. And that he would be the Messiah, that is the chosen one, the anointed one, who fulfills all of the three major Old Testament offices rolled into one, prophet, priest, and king. More than that, he would be the Lord, ruler, master of all over all time. And the angel goes on, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. How many is a multitude? Don't know. It's a lot. We know that John sees angels in heaven in, in the book of Revelation. He says there are myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. There is a host. What's that? Well, what, it's not like standing at the door of the house with, you know, brownies and coffee saying, come on in. These, this is a host is an army. It's a large army. So angels seem to be spiritual warriors under the command of God with some kind of hierarchy, rank, and order because we see Michael is called an archangel, which means he's a chief angel, and an archangel is going to announce the second coming of Christ. What are they doing? Praising God and saying, saying, you say they're praising God, they got to be singing. No, they're just saying, glory to God in the highest. And that's where we get the song, you know, in Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo. But there's no indication that they are melodically dragging it out. Whoa. They're not doing that. They're just saying it. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I got a question. Why are they coming to shepherds of all people? These would be the last people you would expect these angels to show up to. But that's really the gist of the whole Christmas story. Is God just going to common people, right? He, he doesn't pick some prominent, important woman in the capital of the empire to bear his son. He chooses this young, probably teenage girl, this lowly peasant girl in a no-name kind of village, Nazareth, chooses a common laborer, Joseph, to be the adoptive father. He sends angels not into the halls of palaces to people sitting on thrones. He doesn't even send them into the majestic temple to the Jewish rulers. He sends them to these common shepherds who are really the, on the lowest rung of the societal ladder. These are the people that, that really didn't associate with others because they, they were just these humble people who took care of sheep. So the least you would expect, they're the first ones to hear. And I think that sends a message to us. And that's our main idea, is the Lord wants ordinary people to hear and share the good news of Christ. Now, shepherds used to be kind of a more noble position. You think about it in the Old Testament, patriarchs, Moses, David, they were all shepherds. But it was a little bit more respectable back then. By the time you get to Jesus, shepherds are the undesirables. Why? Because they're doing a miserable, awful job, staying up all night, outdoors, taking care of stinky, stupid sheep. Nobody wanted that job, and nobody wanted to be around these guys. And yet, it was David who said, the Lord is my shepherd. So that gives a lot of dignity and honor to that common kind of job. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, because he cares for us as his flock. More than that, he's more than just a shepherd. He's the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. And that's 
the good news of great joy. That, that's what the word gospel means. Good news. The good news that you can be made right with God through Christ giving his life as the sacrifice in your place to forgive you of all your sins, to reconcile you and restore you back to God, to offer you through his resurrection new, abundant, and eternal life. And you can receive that as a free gift of grace. That's the good news. And it's for all people all over the world, in all places, every culture, language, nation, tribe, and race. It's for everybody. And, and part of that is that this baby would bring peace, peace on earth. But another misconception here is that that means no more wars. But obviously that's not what's meant because there have been numerous wars ever since Jesus came to this earth. In fact, there have been very few years where there hasn't been some kind of war going on somewhere in the world. Right now it's where? It's Ukraine and Russia, Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip, the talk of China and maybe Taiwan. And America is neck deep in all of these conflicts, which is why there's a lot of fear and concern about the triggering of World War III. The world is a scary place. It's a nervous world. And in America, there's a lot of unrest, a lot of uncertainty. Pundits are talking about how, oh, next year, 2024, is going to be unlike any year we've ever seen before. There's going to be election political chaos. In fact, have you seen the trailer for this new movie coming out called Civil War? About, you know, there's going to be this civil war in America. And we're like, yeah, maybe that could happen. I mean, fears keep getting stoked about the, the impending domination of China and economic collapse and environmental crisis, educational decline, the indoctrination of our children and kind of woke Marxist thought and the grooming of children like we've never seen before and all of the political correctness and the unfiltered uh, immigration and, and the, the terrorist infiltration and all the widespread drugs and deaths and crime waves and gun violence and all of the key health metrics have gone down in the past few years. People are getting sicker. The obesity is up. Diabetes are up. Uh, uh, there's new fears of new pandemics coming around. And add into all of that your own personal anxieties about what's going on in your life. And Merry Christmas. <sighs> Man, where is this peace on earth? Well, that peace from God is not for the whole world. Who's it for? For those on whom his favor rests. For those with whom he is well pleased. Who's that? Those who receive Christ. See, that word for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And it's not the absence of hostility and conflict. No, we're still going to have that. But it's this peace with God, this complete well-being. And only those hearts who prepare him room receive that kind of peace. Because we've made him our king, our savior, our Lord, and that's brought peace with God. I mean, that's, that's what the Christmas story is, is God sending the ultimate ambassador into the world to offer a peace treaty signed in his blood. And only those who receive the treaty receive that peace. Well, let's go on in verses 15 through 20. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, by the way, this is an awesome event, and it's so understated here. It's just like a quick thing to get out of the way. You would think, oh, they, they should be going into detail and all kinds of lavish, profuse language about these angels. But the focus isn't on the angels. Let's just get that out of the way. Let's focus on the baby. 
And so the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the first thing they do is they, they do what the angels say, go check it out for yourself, go investigate it. They do. Then what? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So they said, we got to go out and tell everybody. How can we keep it to ourselves? And not only that night, but i got to believe for the rest of their lives, they went around telling everybody about this. They are the first ones who get to share the good news in its most basic form because they don't know what Jesus is going to grow up to specifically do to die on the cross and rise from the dead. But they know that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, and he's Lord. And so we got to go tell everybody this good news. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying God and, and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they wanted to go out and tell everybody, and that's what we want to do too, right? Because we've been given the same commission. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. Go preach the good news to all of creation because it's for everyone. Go out there and be my ambassadors. Offer this peace treaty, this message of reconciliation with God because God wants ordinary people to hear and share the good news of Christ, and we want to do that. Yeah, the world's a mess. But Jesus came to set in motion the last days, the final phase of God's plan of salvation leading up to that climactic event when Christ returns. And as, no matter how dark and crazy and wicked the world is right now, Jesus is going to come back and righteousness will win. It will win in the end. There will, until then, there will continue to be wars, rumors of war. Evil will intensify, but Jesus will make all things right and it could be today. So, you may be going through a tough time right now. We just had our blue Christmas service on Friday night for people who have experienced loss and grief and depression, and they're just feeling melancholy at a time when we want to be feeling more joy. But, you know, it's hard to be happy when your happenings are bad. But that's what happiness is dependent on, external happenings. Christ came, he came to give us something better, something deeper. Joy that's not dependent on our happenings. He, his favor rests on us. We have that shalom peace because we've been made right with God. All of our past sins are forgiven. We're given grace for our everyday failings. And we've got hope for the future. And no matter how bad things get, no matter how much tough times you're going through, God is here God is for you, he is with you, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, and he is in you through his Holy Spirit. That's what gives you a joy and a shalom, peace, that the world can't give you and the world can't take away from you. Now next week we're going to see what happens after the angels are gone. Because we can't live on, you know, angelic experiences. We've got to get down into the trenches in the everyday life. What do we do when they leave? Well, again, the focus isn't on angels. It's on Jesus. The wonder of Christmas is that God cared enough to send his very best. He sent his one and only son. He came himself into this world to become one of us, to live among us. To do for us what nobody else could do. He couldn't just send any messenger angelic or human, to do what Jesus came to do, to be our Savior, our Lord, and our God. Yeah, the world's going
going crazy. It's getting dark. It's getting sour. It's getting evil. All of that. And it's messing with us. As Christians, we're experiencing all kinds of negative emotions, fears. We're going through all these ups and downs and turmoil and, and we just don't know what to do and so we've got we've got these mental health issues going on too so in the new year we're starting this new series called good for you this is good for you wouldn't you like to have a better outlook on life a refreshing new perspective that comes from countercultural ways of living that you can only get from God we're going to be talking about depending on God and decluttering your life and developing fellowship and descending into greatness and I really hope that you'll be back for that the Lord wants you as just an ordinary person to not only hear the good news but to share the good news of Christ who can you be an angel to you don't have to have wings to be an angel who can you share the good news with tell them invite them so they can be exposed to the gospel of Christ now bigger question is have you experienced it yet have you received Jesus as your own Savior? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you made your own choice to be baptized, to be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and risen with Him, washed clean of sins and filled with His Holy Spirit? Because the promise of 1 Peter 3 is baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Wouldn't you like to have that? It happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven. Right now he is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him because he is king of men and angels. But have you subjected yourself to him? Have you bowed the knee to him yourself? Because at his return... It says he's going to come in the clouds with power and glory and surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels who he will send out all over the earth to gather in all people and they will be divided into two groups and two only, into the righteous and the unrighteous, those with Christ and those without Christ. Which group will you be gathered into? I'm urging you on this Christmas Eve to make the best and biggest decision of your life and to make Christ your Savior. If you've never done that before, you can text us, you can email us, you can come up in the next few moments when the music is playing or come up after the service. I'm going to have some friends up here who would be willing to talk with you, to pray with you, to answer your questions, to help you rededicate your life to Christ, or to get you baptized tonight right here on the spot. We've got everything you need, towels, robes, clothes, so that you can really experience what Christmas is all about. Christ the Lord has come. And he is our Savior. Let's pray about that right now. Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus into the world. And uh, I pray that everybody would be able to experience this. Like Mary, that we would ponder these things in our heart. Consider them deeply and believe them and, and enjoy them. And thank you for coming to, to just people like us. Ordinary people. Humble. Lowly. The outcast. The poor. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are spiritually searching right now to be like the shepherds and go and find out for themselves, investigate it, so they can make the best decision of their lives. And thank you for that goodwill, that grace that you have on those who receive Christ. We're grateful for your favor, that we're made right with you, that we're forgiven, we've got a future, that you're with us, that we have hope for, for our forever. 
But until Jesus returns, God, we're praying for some peace on earth, that there, there, there will be an end to these wars, and yet we know that there will never truly be peace until your son is recognized as a prince of peace and every knee bows before him. So what we're really praying, God, is that every person on earth would become followers of Jesus Christ. Send us out to be your messengers, God. And I want to pray for those who are going through tough times. Whatever it is, God, uh, I pray that they would know that you are here for them, you're with them, and you're in them. And that we would be able to worship you with joy like the angels and the shepherds. And that we would fear not because we have your shalom peace. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand and sing with us?